welcome to the Adventure Together podcast. In this episode, Guy and Heather speak to Hannah and Nathan Anderson. Hannah is the author of several books, including All That's Good, Humble Roots and Made For More. And Nathan is a former church pastor. really good to see Hannah and Nathan Anderson. We are privileged to have a relationship and friendship with those and we know in the Commission family how both of them came to serve and bless the whole of the Commission family and so well received, so many fond memories, great to have your family with us on those occasions and uh, we wanted to take this opportunity to catch up with you, hear a bit of your news but also We're aware that our global family of churches, now numbering almost 300, have all gone through probably the worst year of their lives, dealing with disappointments, discouragements, a lot of death in um, some parts of the world. And uh, I wanted to do a series of just interviews of key leaders to see what things God was saying to them what lessons they felt God was uh, underlining in their lives, what they were reading, what was or writing, what was helping them. And so it's a real joy to have you both uh, on this interview, uh, hopefully share some of our lives together that others can be encouraged and, and built up in. So thank you so much for giving up some time to do this. It's a delight to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you both again. Um, we wondered if you could just tell us a little bit what, the last year has been like for you guys on a personal level, because obviously we know what it's been like in the UK, but what's it been like for you in the States? When COVID hit at the beginning of 2020, I was actually unemployed at the time. And so it just made that whole process of trying to find employment a little frightening and, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit um, uncertain because all of a sudden no one is hiring for anything uh, unless you're a doctor, <laughs> and I clearly was not. But that also, God used that to open, because of COVID, um, many of our states, including the state we live in, opened up a lot of their unemployment benefits to um, broader, much more broader class of people than than um, than normal. Um, and a lot of times ministers um, do not uh, fall in the category for unemployment. So God was able to meet our needs uh, through that. We were also, as a family, we were in the process of trying to find a church. And all of a sudden, no churches are meeting. So it's kind of hard to find a church while, you know, during the pandemic. So God did a lot of interesting things with us as a family. We were able to, by the time 2020 ended, I was employed, so I was. God was able to bring me a job during the pandemic. We were able to find a church community. We, of course, were isolated like everyone else. And so the kids were out of school for about three months um, at the beginning of the pandemic. But again, uh, their school was able to navigate the pandemic pretty well. And so it was a time of great loss, but it was a time of, mm-hmm. to see the provision of God and his care for us even during those times. And Hannah can share a little bit about mm-hmm. um, family's experience as well. On our um, immediate family level, like Nathan said, we had a profound experience of God's provision in ways that didn't look like it made sense on paper or in any respect. I remember at the beginning of going into lockdown 
and even this season in our lives, because we it was already a slightly difficult season for us personally, and then it became even more difficult with the added dimension of lockdown. But I remember praying specifically um, for patience, that mm-hmm. we would not do anything that would short circuit the work that God was doing in our lives through this process. And I had to pray for that specifically because I tend to be the kind to want to fix something. And as Mm -hmm. pressures mount or as things look like they are increasingly difficult, you want to make decisions or you want to do something that would um, at least change your circumstance, at least change your sense of the circumstances. And so going in, we kind of knew it would be a long season. We didn't know how long. And I just prayed for patience that we would let God's process play out. And as Nathan said, he he took care of us. And part of having the patience not to short circuit something meant that you had to trust that you would be taken care of in those times. And God did. And what, what Nathan didn't share, which I just, I think is God's sense of humor, is he did get a job when a lot of places weren't hiring. He got a job in an art museum, which is, ideal for Nathan, but he got a job in event planning (laughs) in the middle of a time when there could be events. And so we still Yeah, so for my first few months at the job, I didn't do a whole lot. It just makes no sense whatsoever, but we also have um, confidence that God was doing that and caring for us in the midst of it. Mm. Um, On a a broader family level, we we did have some losses. we lost my uncle um, to COVID in February, and that was a very hard um, loss. It was hard to hope that he was getting better and then to see him take um, you know, a turn for the worse. And it was you know, obviously made all the more difficult by um, the division that was in society, yeah. like differences of opinions about how it should be handled. And I think for some of that, um, there's been a lot of grief that's been postponed. And I think there's this this sense of we have to acknowledge that we weren't able to grieve in the normal ways that we would typically have grief losses. And I think, again, patience comes into that saying this is going to be a process even as mm-hmm. we continue, even as some places are opening up more, um, there's still a lot to grieve and there's still a lot that we are um, walking through globally. Do you think either of you could comment on what you feel God has been teaching the church in the US? I mean, we feel there are things that are good things Mm -hmm. that we've come out of this and there are also some things that we've struggled with. So I just wondered what your observations of that would be, both of you. Have you seen Hannah's Twitter feed? (laughs) (laughs) She shares those thoughts all the time. Well, I think uh, she could speak, and obviously um, she has uh, very astute observations. I I think for me, one of the positive things that have come out of this process, and it's not specifically COVID-related, but it is probably a little bit broader, but obviously COVID is part of this. And I think that God is separating the Christian church from political power and just kind of saying, hey, you don't need to thirst and lust for power and you don't need to um, be so closely tied to 
um, political leaders and sell your soul um, for the gospel message. In fact, I think he's reminding us that the hard work of the gospel and of the church is one-on-one relationships, even through COVID, um, you know, reminding us what we're called to do. We're not called to set up a, um, a political state of America, um, but we are called to evangelize people one at a time in, in, mm. in relationships. And I think mm. it's a hard lesson, particularly for the American church. Mm. Uh, but I think they're learning that more broadly. I've heard people describe this season as apocalyptic in the very um, basic sense of that word of revealing, that there's a revelation going on, that there's a revealing going on of the way things actually are. And in some respects, that's um, really encouraging. I, I've seen us long to be together in church. I've seen the loss and the grief of not being able to be together and confirming that for a lot of people that, yes, the love of Christ's people and the love of his body has been revealed to be true, that, that it is something that they long for. Um, at the same time, there's been a revealing of the brokenness. And as we go through any time of increased pressure or difficulty, there's whatever is weak is going to break. And I think we've seen ways in which um, the American church was not equal to some things that we thought we might have been, that we weren't as strong in certain areas and that we really need to pay attention to the lessons, the things that have been revealed to us through this season, even if they are difficult things. And for us um, in the States, that includes um, pervasive kind of racial tensions. That includes um, difficulty, tensions between the state and the church. As, as Nathan mentioned, there's always the, the political ramifications. But we also had a lot of um, things that needed to be clarified about uh, regulations, closing churches or, or keep allowing to meet. So I don't know yet what is completely broken. I think some things were broken during this season and it will take us time to recognize and see that. But I think what we've been given um, perhaps is knowledge and clarity about the state of things. And we can no longer um, you know, confess ignorance about who we are and how we respond under difficulties. In many ways, when you read um, Jesus' rebuke in Revelation 3 to the church who, in Sardis who had a reputation of being alive but was dead, and Jesus' encouragement is to wake up and strengthen that which remains, it feels that a number of leaders, in the, particularly in the Western world, are saying it feels like a wake-up call. It feels like a pruning back. Uh, and and a, and a time to put the emphasis where the emphasis should be to strengthen uh, key elements of what it means to be a church, a, a believer. What what are those key areas for you both in terms of your own devotion, but also in terms of what you see? I mean, you've mentioned some of them in terms of the politicization, political nature of the church. It sort of is it with Trump? Is it with Biden? You know those those tensions, but what other areas do you feel like God is saying, wake up, wake up, Nathan, wake up, Hannah, wake up, church? I, I, one of the verses that came to your mind, mind when you're talking about Revelation speaking to the churches, the epistles speak a lot of, of discernment. 
Mm-hmm. And, and Hannah obviously has done a lot of research on this, but, but I think that we have lost as a church and we need to wake up to the ability to see what truth is mm-hmm. and, and to be able to discern between good and evil um, and, and even to be able to discern through all of these sticky situations like, you know, the racial tensions and the LBGT, LBGQ uh, uh, issues and, and to be able to speak to them with truth and love and, mm-hmm. and not fear and hate and otherness. And um, so I think God is calling his church to, to truth and discernment and um, to be able to sort through some of these things. Very good. And on a personal level, another thing for me that came out of this season is early on going into lockdown, I, I had a strong sense that we needed to cultivate certain rhythms and practices that maybe we had participated in, but, you know, had kind of gotten thrown by the wayside with schedules and busyness. And now we had this season to focus. And one thing that came out of that um, for me was more regular, regular habits of prayer and Bible reading and even um, listening to the scripture. Um, more often and hearing it read rather than just um, being alone in my reading. We, we listened a lot more to scriptures. We read books as a family. Um, and, and I think one of the things that getting back to basics means is prioritizing those very basic spiritual Christian disciplines and practices mm-hmm. um, and recovering them, not just in a moment of pandemic, but recognizing that this is the only way that we w- walk through this life. This is the only way our faith is sustained. Um, and so that was a, another blessed kind of gift out of this season was the ability to have margin and time to create intentionally those kinds of rhythms and habits of, of clear structure um, mm-hmm. to our practices. And as Nathan said, you know, I think for the church, it is this question of what do we stand for? What are yeah. we about? Yeah. Um, are we about um, proclaiming life in Jesus? Are we about proclaiming um, what is true and good and beautiful, um, compelling about the nature of God and, and warning people as well? Um, and I think in that sense, it is a wake up call. I don't know how it will happen in institutions, but I've seen it happening in individuals. Mm-hmm. Just this sense of saying, you know what, this was serious. I can't mess around. Whatever I'm going to do with my life um, for the sake of the kingdom, I need to be about doing that. And I need to get serious on the other side of this about pursuing mm-hmm. That's really, really helpful. And I think that resonates with us very much. So one of the blessings for us and probably for lots of people is having a little bit more time to read. Have there been any key books that either of you read during this time that you've thought actually that's really, really helped in this particular season? Well, I've read um, a couple of books on the, 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 racial issues that it's, it's kind of like there's, there's all these different layers of things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I'm reading right now is called stamp from the beginning. And it's about um, racial issues in the United States and how we got started. And, and what, a, one of the things I think the couple that I've read have just 
woken me up to as, you know, a white male um, is that, yeah, it's not my story, but it is part of the story of our collective community. And we as a church need to listen a little bit better and, and, and love a little bit better uh, in these areas and be open to uh, learn from our um, brothers and sisters who aren't white. Um, and so those have been particularly helpful, um, helpful to me. We, um, you know, watch some stuff on, on, on TV. I'm trying to remember the, what was the documentary we watched with the kids? Um, uh, the New Testament, the world of the New Testament. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So we, one we of did the a Bible was, set, we did a st- short study with the kids, um, with the, the world. Of the right. New yeah, yeah, and Michael. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we went through that with them. Um, it was a video series that we were able to do on like Sunday mornings. Brilliant. Churches weren't meeting. <laughs> we've also, with the kids, we've been reading through. Now, our children are 16 going on 17, uh, 15 going, 14 going on 15, and 12. So they're getting into those teen years. And we've been reading Mere Christianity with them, like one chapter a Sunday, and just slowly going through that. Um, and dealing with the kind of underpinnings of why our faith is um, can stand up to the test of a mm-hmm. secular age. Because I think one thing we, we know about our children is that they are entering a world that's much more secularized um, mm-hmm. than the one we grew up in. And mm-hmm. even as things are being revealed, as the church is being um, kind of separated even within itself, we recognize that they're not going to grow up and enter a world where this is clear or understood or well-received. So that's been a good process as a family. I read um, a book called The Possibility of Prayer um, by a friend of mine, uh, John Stark. And it was a call to a lifestyle that prayer was a natural part of. So it wasn't just a book that said you need to pray more. It was a book questioning how do you need to arrange your life so that prayer is not something that you just add on to it, but is a natural outgrowth of the way your life is structured. And that was a great book. Yeah, we both read that one. I mean, one of the books that I've read recently is Carl Truman's The Making of the Modern Self. And that's a, a game. It's, it's a very helpful read. And apparently he's bringing out an idiot's guide, which is probably going to be more suitable for me, uh, a shorter one. Um, but just in terms of understanding for particularly, your, you think of your children and the age they are, and a comment that says, I'm a man in a woman's body 10 years ago, 15 years ago, would have made no sense whatsoever. And yet to the millennial, the Gen, Gen Z, it means a lot. And the whole philosophical self, how, how are your children interacting in that world? What, what, what things are they bringing home or reading that makes you go, oh, my word, how do, I've never had to answer this before. Yeah, it's all coming home. Yep, (laughs) we've had all the conversations. All of them. All of them. And it it has been startling in the sense that I we we've had an open home, an open conversation. We want our children to um, feel like 
they can talk with us. No, no subject is untouchable. Um, but the, the, the degree to which we're having the conversations, um, just by virtue of their friendships or being in school or having access to certain uh, conversations online, I, I don't even think it's a question of, you know, one particular place these messages are coming from, it's coming from everywhere, ev everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we have been challenged in our conversations with them is what is a uniquely Christian response to this? Um, because a lot of the pressures that they feel is that the pressure to love their friends, to, mm -hmm. to love their friends. Well, they already do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to love their friends who are identifying as trans or non-binary and to say, how do we live in faithful presence and relationship with people and also um, be compelled by what is true and good and beautiful? And navigating those tensions, I think, is what has been at the heart of a lot of our conversations. Um, and when you enter those conversations, you find that there's a whole lot of other things going on around them. And it's never just one thing. Yeah, sometimes mm -hmm. the presenting issue is just the access point for a whole lot of other things that are happening in their friends' lives. And helping our children see past that to say what's really going on here. Um, this child, you know, or this friend, is lonely or this friend needs the truth of being loved by God. Um, and so it, it has been surprising. I would say even in the last, it's been the last year or two that we've just gotten hit with every conversation. you can And have. as a parent and Hannah probably does a much better job than I do, but as a parent, you can't let any of your, you can't make it emotional. Yeah. Like you can't make the conversation emotional. You can't show like, oh, this is a terrible thing. We can't talk about this. Or you can't say, well, mm. don't you ever do that? Or you, you can't respond uh, to the conversations those way, that, that, that way. And, and, and to, but to have it as, okay, well, let's talk through this. You know, tell me why. You know, mm. Hannah's very good at drawing out the kids, uh, you know, giving them that safe space to ask those questions and mm. and to where it's like, like she said, no subject should be taboo or a family, you know, but also push back a little bit on the kids because particularly Phoebe as the oldest, you know, Hannah's like, we're, we're in our forties, you know, we've lived life a little bit longer, you know, you need to, there has to be some get some say, okay, well, you need to think about this. You know, mm -hmm. what about this? And, you know, where someone who is not as mature, um, you know, they, they haven't thought those things. And so Hannah is very good at, at kind of navigating those conversations with our children. Usually so. I find the best um, approach to conversation is to make it more complicated than they've heard. Yes. Yeah. So to say, this is the narrative you've received. This is easy, one and done. It's just straightforward. And to introduce questions to say, well, what if I added this piece of information? What if I said that your body is important and that it tells you things about who you are? And it's not just um, something to be manipulated or cast aside. And once you begin to introduce new information that reflects reality or, you know, reflects what, what the word of God teaches, I think a child who has a heart to to love God and to love his word and is really wrestling 
will take that through the process. Um, and as parents, you have to be willing to let the process happen. And like Nathan said, not to short circuit it with your own shock or um, surprise or, or whatever it is that can really send a signal to the child too that they've done something wrong by even broaching the subject. And what about writing then, uh, Hannah, in terms of, I mean, I've really enjoyed turning of days. I mean, we both have, haven't we? Very much. Um, but, but we're very much in that sort of um, unusual, I would say, with, with half the world living in urban centres and the other half not, um, it's, it's a book that if you are in touch with nature, it, 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 it's like a... It's like reading C.S. Lewis. It, it, every page explodes with metaphor and theology. How, how, how do you feel that connects with a, an urban population? I, I was trying to work that through the other day when I was reading a chapter thinking, I wonder how this would connect with somebody who lives their whole life in a city like London. Yes. And it's a tension that's come up in conversation. And one thing Nathan and I have talked about is um, no matter where you are, you are surrounded by nature. And in yeah. urban center, even green spaces, but even if there aren't a lot of green spaces, you have the air, you feel the wind on your skin, you walk in the elements of the rain. Um, there are plants that are growing on your window seal. And, and it may just be a question of how much- Opening your eyes to nature around you. Yes, it may be a question of, in urban centers, there's more distractions, but it's not that the natural world is not present. It's just that mm. there are many more things that would catch your eye than if you were in a rural setting. And a lot of those distractions have been removed. Um, within mm. a rural setting, you almost have no choice but to see <laughs> creation. And so it, it is easier. I think in that sense, there is, a, there is a privilege in living in a rural setting where you have fewer mm. distractions so it's easier to focus. My hope for um, our writing and the, the illustrations that Nathan has done is that it will capture it, it will capture people's imagination and affection. So that even if they are not um, as familiar or didn't grow up in a rural setting, that there would be something in the writing that's compelling and, and really draws out of them a desire to know these things and then to perhaps pursue them um, in whatever way they can, whatever steps they can take in this direction to model observation, even if it's looking at the details of the plant that's on your windowsill. And I think, you know, you mentioned C.S. Lewis and it's very flattering to be part of something that's compared to that. But, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia is a mm -hmm. fantasy book that is, you know, written for children. But as adults, we love it because the truth is the truth. And you mm -hmm. see it even, you know, in a story and in a setting that's, you know, I've never been to Narnia. I don't even have a wardrobe. But, you know, so like, like, the, like the truths that are in the book that Hannah was able to connect the metaphors, they're, they're just true. Are we allowed to ask, is there anything else in the pipeline? We're working on it. We we're having some good conversations um, with publishers right now, and hopefully um, we'll be able, Nathan and I will be able to work together on some projects in the next few years. 
Um, nothing is signed off, um, but we have a lot of good interest in projects that we're both excited about. I, th I think you've both got this wonderful gift and it's lovely to see it complementing each other in that way. I, I feel, you know, the, the words are, are, are powerful. They, they paint on your imagination, but to actually have a tool whereby you see a bird's wing or you understand something, what a walnut looks like <laughs> um, in, 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 in an urban setting, I think it's very, very powerful. And uh, we, we've really, really enjoyed it. And we've enjoyed all your books. I wanted to ask you, Nathan, really about um, what it's like being a, a church leader in every context, doing that. I mean, we do a lot of training and we, we emphasize a lot of people leaving what we call secular employment, moving towards church work. What's it been like and how's it been for you moving in the opposite direction? Because we would very strongly hold the value that all work is God's work, all work is kingdom work. Um, has there been some challenges in that or, or, or people question that at all? Or have you um, found that transition fairly straightforward? Um, honestly, I think I have found it fairly straightforward. Um, and I think that's probably maybe testament to God's timing for our, where we are in this life or where, where we are in this season of life. Um, it has, oh my goodness, I... I <laughs> I will say this, I cannot have imagined leading a church through COVID. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was just my personality or just the magnitude of the disaster that COVID was. <laughs> I, I yeah. am yeah. so grateful that God kind of stepped me aside before that showed up on the world scene. I, mm. I, I mean, Hannah can probably attest to that. I don't... Um, <laughs> envy any pastor trying to shepherd his flock through what COVID has been coupled with politics, uh, particularly the divisive mm -hmm. politics in America. Um, so I don't miss that at all. Um, it's, uh, so I think it's been fairly straightforward. I think I have an opportunity to um, use the gifts that God has given me in a slightly different way. And, and really as working at an art museum, one of our, goals is we consider ourselves stewards of the community's mm. work. Uh, so we're stewards of the community's artwork. And, and I think that's a great, great way to think of yourselves, even as being a pastor, you're your steward of God's people, you know? And so just that stewardship element just kind of seamlessly goes over just into another realm. Um, so I, I think for me, it's been a fairly straightforward transition. I would say this, perhaps, and I'll let her speak to it, that Hannah perhaps misses church work a little bit more. <laughs> might be a little bit more harder, more difficult than her. I don't know. That's perhaps the untold story that when um, a man transitions from one realm to another, his family transitions. And it can be very hard to find your equilibrium on the other side as a family. And I think mm. a lot of times the conversation is directed toward how does a pastor, um, you know, continuing his pastoring gifts, but in a secular role. But as a pastor's wife, you're also trying to find 
your new equilibrium mm-hmm. and your new um, focus. And I, I think we've talked about this, Nathan, and I have talked about, I knew where and how I was to serve. Like I knew what was the focus of my main attention in terms of um, the local church ministry. It was beside Nathan and his um, position as a pastor in this um, small church. And, and it was very comfortable in many ways in the sense that I knew it. I knew how to navigate it. And um, when that transition happens, it can be disorienting. Mm. I will say that um to your question about how Nathan has transitioned, I can just testify as his wife watching him. It, it's been interesting to see as he's moved into more of an office setting that he still has the same care for his coworkers that he exercised over the congregation. And I hear him coming home and saying, this person was overlooked. They weren't, um, mm-hmm. you know, their work wasn't seen and rewarded. I'm going to try to do something to make sure that they understand that they did a good job and we affirm that. So I see that same kind of pastoral care um, being transferred into um, his coworkers' lives. And, you know, for us, it's also, again, going back to that question of letting God's process play out and the patience of not short-circuiting something. Mm -hmm. What Nathan said at the beginning, I will just testify that as God is moving, we need to make sure that God is the one moving and that we are patient Mm -hmm. with the process. I know this last season for a lot of church leaders has been very, very hard and Mm -hmm. they're probably at their lowest ebb. Um, Maybe they made it through, maybe they're in the thick of it still. And there's a lot of discouragement and it would be very Mm -hmm. easy to believe that you're being let out of church when it may not be the spirit leading you out yet. It may be discouragement. It may be that um, this is just a really hard season. And what we have found is as we move with the Holy Spirit's leading, as we discern different seasons of life, um, we want to be very careful to affirm that this is God's call, that there is both Mm -hmm. a push and a pull, that there is clarity um, and it's shared with others, and it's not just something that we are um, moving in our own will or out of our own exhaustion. I mean, it's been that's really, really good and really helpful. I mean, it's been a very difficult year just in terms of the Christian world, in high profile Christian leaders. Uh, some sadly who have died in revealing that the, the hidden life uh, was one of uh, not not good in terms of uh, immorality or other high profile leaders on platforms having affairs. I wonder how you would both speak to the leadership in commission today in terms of how you keep walking close to Jesus in these very difficult times, how in an age where, I mean, you both live on social media, you've got high high profile and so much emphasis is put on success, big churches, popular books, high numbers listening to your latest sermon or latest tweet. How would you both counsel our men and women who aspire to leadership but may drift towards that success model rather than the the model of Jesus what would you, what would your sort of help your encouragement your your leading be to some of our leaders 
Well, I'm going to just remember something that we, Nathan and I will always tell um, young leaders or young couples that want to go into ministry, we would always say, do anything else if you possibly can. <laughs> and and I know we've had some shocked responses and they say, no, I love, I love God's church and I love his kingdom and I love his people. And I really believe that this is where I'm being called. And, and I think that's what it mm -hmm. takes. Um, but if you see the church of God as a ladder to climb or a place to meet your own insecurities or um, to, yes, to fill a void that, you know, only Jesus can fill. I think we need to be very clear with our own motivations for why mm -hmm. we are engaging in the work. Uh, we may be called to the work. You know, I'm not going to say that people were not called to um no matter what our failings are, we may be called to the work, but we have to be very um, aware of our own internal process and our own motivations that, that this is not something, um, ministry is not something that can replace Jesus. And I think that sometimes um, isn't always clear because we think we're doing things for God or we, we see um, our work as, replacing the relationship, you know, perhaps. Mm. But um, it's also a massive temptation for all of those places inside of us that have not yet been confronted or healed. And the needs that we have to be seen, to be successful, to be loved, I think mm. that's one that so many um, leaders are struggling with but can't, can't say, just the desire to know that they are loved. Um, mm. And... To take those needs and have them filled um, by Jesus himself, rather than looking to other people mm -hmm. or even our ministry to fill those needs. And I think a, a great question to ask yourself to like to kind of get to what Hannah was speaking about of like what is motivating you is asking yourself why. Like mm -hmm. like one of one of the men who has helped me a lot over the last year or so. He asks, he's, he's like, well, why did, why are you doing this? You know, what, what is at the root? You know, even we were talking about having those conversations with our children, the presenting issues that are so popular or are so prominent in our, in our culture, there's deeper issues there. And so I think having enough self-knowledge and self-reflection mm -hmm. um, of saying, well, well, why am I pursuing this or what? What, what what's going on deeper in that sense of being loved and accepted uh, by people uh, is replacing your real desire, you know, to be loved mm. by God. That's really good. Helpful. It's really good to talk to you. I mean, it just makes me think we need to see you again, really. Oh, and not, not too long before we do. And before we say goodbye, can, can you just, it, it's very interesting, Hannah, I think you were talking about prayer and how that has been affected during this pre, this last year. I just wonder how either of you manage your personal devotion, whatever you call that, that time that you have with God. Mm. Are there any sort of keys that you could tell us? Because it's it's an area that, if we're honest, a lot of us struggle with. Mm. Um, so, so how do you do it and make it meaningful? Well, I've, um, this may come as a surprise to people who know me as a writer. I've only recently begun journaling. Um, I would 
put a lot of my work into my thoughts, into my work and not as much into self-reflection in journaling. And I have found that that is for me, given my gifts and the way God has um, knit me together, that I need to have lots of words and conversation with God to process things. Mm. And that may not be what other people um, need out of their own process. But, um, you know, obviously we want to affirm core practices of prayer and Bible reading, being in community with each other. But beyond that, I do think there is a, a level of margin to to be present with God in who mm. he has made you to be. And there are different avenues based on who God has made us to be that we um, know his delight in, that, that we know his presence in. And I would say Nathan's process in that respect is, is different than mine. Um, he's not as much, I don't want to speak for you, Nathan, but I, I'm just not a verbal process. Him, <laughs> yeah, observing him, he's not as much, um, it, he doesn't process in that way. But I know when he needs time alone with God that he needs to go on a walk or he needs mm. to sit in the woods for a few hours. And, and we try to make that margin for each other because I think that's the other thing as a family mm. and as a couple um, to give each other and grant each other the space to develop your relationship with God um, as it's needed in different ways. And I would add, so like Hannah said, I, you know, she processes much more verbally and with, by the written word. And I process more um, just being by myself and being outside. Um, but I, I think also for me, um, like Heather, like you said, you know, we all struggle, you know, maintaining that personal relationship. And, and I think, you know, so I will admit, you know, I, I struggle along those lines as well. But I think also just acknowledging that struggle is not a mm. bad place to be. To say, you know, any relationship, even my relationship with Hannah, who is my closest person in all the world, it goes through its rocky times. It goes through its times where, you know, we're a little peeved with each other or, you know, there's those, it, it, it ebbs and flows like any relationship. And I think if we if we think that a relationship with God is, okay, I have to have, read my Bible and pray today. I checked it off my list. Okay, tomorrow I read, read my Bible and pray and check it off my list. That's not a really a relationship. And I think just acknowledging and being comfortable that your your relationship with God does kind of ebb and flow, and that's okay. That's that's reality, and that's give yourself a little bit of grace as you give as you give it to other people too. So that's really good, really good, very good. I mean, one of the things that we found very hard in our early married life was praying together, um, and we I felt I thought my, my ego was just too big in terms of. I couldn't I couldn't go through the hypocrisy of praying something I when I was out of sorts with Heather and so her saying, should we pray about this? No, no. <laughs> it was a good little indicator on the uh, spiritual dashboard of my life that I wasn't walking with Jesus, that uh, actually I was holding things back. It's a real joy. I mean, we do love you guys. We do thank God for your lives. We thank God for... Uh, what you mean to us uh, as a commission family and uh, I really do appreciate I mean both to you giving up this time tonight um, for us or in the day for you 
Um, and thank you for your insights. And uh, we'll continue and believe God that actually greater things are ahead of us. Um, we're, we're trusting God that out of this pruning, out of this Joseph-like prison, will come a, a different day for the church, a more robust church, a more godly, holy, bright, shining church in the midst of all the darkness around us. And we thank God that you can help us uh, and help us as leaders to think about these things, to know where to turn to, to learn some lessons, how to how to read and strengthen ourselves in God. So thank you so much for being part of this. Um, and we hope we'll be seeing you soon, however lockdown unlocks. But uh, we, we, if we can't see you, we'll read, read your next book whenever that right. comes out. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for the invitation. Okay. It's a delight to see you guys again as well. Thank you for listening to the adventure together podcast if you enjoyed it don't forget to subscribe to find out more about commission visit www.commission.global